Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and stand and join us. We're going to start off with some worship and singing this morning. Just pray with you guys. Part of our morning service is just 
setting some time aside just to connect intentionally with God. Well, we know that when we sing, it's easy to just go through motions and make stuff happen, but um, to take a moment to be here. Plus, I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody with any injuries in this room. We should be praying for them. Uh, I'm going to come up with a really good story, so I'm not saying anything about it right now. But I just want to pray. You've got things going on in your hearts, things going on that you've got needs, things you need to bring uh, to the Father this morning. My prayers are not magical because I'm holding a microphone. Yours are just as powerful. I'm just going to be with you, and we're going to agree together as we lift up the things going on in our lives. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, I thank you that as we approach um, our independence, God, that just the, the idea and the realization that we have so much freedom, that this morning we can come and show up to church and some of us maybe never even thought about it, but that there are those elsewhere who meeting together is actually uh, a terrifying situation because there are consequences and those who would seek to shut it down and be thrown in prison and all kinds of things and we just come casually we get to hang out father i pray that more than just showing up to church that we would show up to meet with you today god i pray that we would come hungry desperate for something more and i pray father that you would meet us right where we're at that we would just be washed over by your love and your presence this morning in all of how good you are. Lead us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.
talking to you about tithe this morning. Um, I'm just going to be really honest with you guys about where I've been uh, recently and lately uh, at with tithe. And to be honest with you guys, finances and like financial stuff has been kind of an insecurity for me lately. Um, I'm only back in the AV and not living down below going to Biola because I couldn't afford a second semester there. Um, I, I live in my friend's house in their spare bedroom because they're nice enough not to charge me rent. Um, I work at Chick-fil-A, and they pay me well. Thanks, shout out to Chick-fil-A. Um, but still, <laughs> I, have, I have plans. I want to move forward in life. Um, and all that costs money. And, I, and then every two weeks, um, tithing has really never been a huge issue for me. And I know some of you guys are like, yeah, because he works at Chick-fil-A. But like... It, it's never been a huge issue for me, but um, recently, like every single, every two weeks, I've been like, man, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I, I could save this money. I could use this for something else. I could, um, I don't know. There's, so, I feel like there's so much that I could do with it. And as the number goes up, I'm like, oh man, that's actually kind of a lot of money. Um, and then recently, I, I, I lead in, in the crash, and I was having a conversation with some of my like junior and senior boys, um, and we were at a summer, at a summer camp recently. Um, and I was like, man, like, what you guys believe about God is the most important thing about you. I got that from Dave and Ty. You can't, I didn't make that up. I'm not that smart. Um, and it, ultimately, I think it comes from a man named A.W. Tozer. But I was telling them, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you because that influences your actions. That influences what you choose to do. And ultimately, who you choose to be will come from that. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, man, nailed it. Like, I said something sick. But I felt like God was like, now you should probably do that. And like, that's all I've been thinking about like the last couple of days is, man, if I actually think that God's 
a provider, if I think that he has my back, if I think that he has my best interest in mind, that calls action out of me, that I have to make a choice if I actually believe that, something like I will do something about that. Um, and that's not just with Tithe, but I think Tithe is such a cool opportunity um, for me because it always is a mirror and it kind of reflects where my heart is at and it shows me where I'm at and what I believe about God because it's it's either easy for me or, or it's not. But if I think that God is there and, he, and he's a star-breathing God who breathes out galaxies and then looks at me and wants to take care of me, then that would be an easy choice for me. So I don't know that I always believe that. And so I guess... My question to, I think God's question to me and my question to you guys this morning is what do you believe to be true about God? Because ultimately it's bigger than tithe and I think it's the most important thing about you because it will influence the choices that you decide to make and ultimately the you that you take care of the, the flowers, God, and you take care of the birds and, and ultimately um, if you take care of those things, God, how much more do you take care of the people that you call your children that you say you created in your image, God? I pray that we would be a people um, where our actions back what we say we believe, Lord, and I just pray that this morning um, as the tithe is collected that you would just take this money and you would um, use it to bring heaven to earth, God. We thank you so much and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I also get to do announcements. So um, if you're in fifth and sixth grade, you can head out to the lobby. You're going to head over to the other building um, and hang out, watch a video. It's awesome. If you're joining us online, thank you so much. We're glad that you're joining us. Um, if you're new today, today's your first day. You're a guest. We have a treat for you in the hot spot. I don't actually know what it is, but I hear it's awesome. Um, if you go out those doors and to the right, that's the hot spot. We have a little gift for you guys if you're a guest and you're visiting today. Um, the last announcement that I have is that there's not going to be any connect for the rest of summer. We're going to start that back up in the fall. I'm just as sad as you are, but it's going to be awesome in the fall. If you guys would, go ahead and stand. Greet someone around you, and I will do the same. Summer. I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors. And if you've uh, if you've just started, you know, checking out Journey, if you're new to this, uh, man, we're so glad you're here today. If you're one of our family members, man, we're uh, we're in a great series. We're wrapping up today. Been looking forward to this Sunday, and um, this has been a kind of a long series, but it's really really important because this is some real life stuff, and this is kind of where I live, and some of the things I've had to wrestle with, um, and and I just know the people I talk to and I get to talk to a lot of people, um, this is where a lot of you come to a place of decision where, you know, just, you don't know what to do with yourself. You don't know what to do. Because we're saying bottle up is this idea that we all have situations, experiences, feelings, emotions, 
and every now and then something happens and something comes out. And you're like, and I don't know where that came from. I don't. I can't believe I said that. And and if we're asking, you know, we would say, man, I, I don't know what I don't know what caused that. And Jesus said, I do. Like, oh, I don't even know where that come from. I'm not like that. And Jesus says, oh, it, it's actually coming from your heart. And what we said is that what we do in religion or Christianity oftentimes is we learn that there are certain things that just should not be said, certain ways we should not behave. And so we put on these really good filters. And Jesus said, you, you just, you've got a really good filter. I said, no, I'm really good at this normally. He goes, no, you just, you have, you've just learned how to behave. It's behavior modification, and, and you're getting better at it. But, but that's not really the point. Like, but but I, I don't want to be that kind of person. He said, good, I don't want you to be either. So let's do something about that. And we talked about how all these emotions, when they get all bottled up inside, they come out in the most crazy ways. What do we do about that? How do we change the person we are? How do we become that person Jesus intends for us to be? And today's kind of a summary. I'm going to kind of roll it all into one package. I hope it makes you know, sense to you. Um, because what you'll discover is that at Journey, we rarely talk about becoming a Christian. It's not that that's wrong or anything. But, but what we talk about is having a relationship, becoming a follower of Jesus. Because what we believe, it's vastly different. This religion that people walk in for a good part of their life, I've walked in religion most of my life, is very different from this thing that Jesus actually came to do and invited us into. And, And the fact is, the thing that got the first century Christians in trouble with Rome was not what they believed. It wasn't their teachings. What got the first century Christians in trouble with Rome was generally it drove them crazy because they killed their leader and yet they wouldn't go away. Generally, when you kill the leader of a movement, that just kind of puts an end to the movement, but not in Christianity. Jesus' followers, when they, when they killed and crucified Jesus, it just exploded. It did the opposite of what everything else does when you kill the leader. And so they were persecuting these people. They were just taking off their heads, burning them at the stake, tearing them apart with wild animals and all this. And they learned that their devotion was not to a movement. It was not to a set of teachings. It was not to a holy book. Their devotion was to a person. And this was a person that they literally, many of them, had actually walked with, lived with, talked with. They had seen him day in and day out. They had been with him before and after his death. Now, that's a trick you ought to try. But some of these people had actually been with him before. He'd healed their wounds. He had restored their sight. He had given them what their needs were. But basically, he was inviting them into a new kind of relationship with God. And it didn't matter that he killed them because he came back. And then they were with him for another 40 days or so. And these people could not be stopped. They believed because they knew the person of Jesus. And just a couple, 20 years later, the Apostle Paul starts writing and recording all of his experiences. Not talking about hundreds of years later, just 22, 23 years later, the Apostle Paul begins to record all of this that had happened in the church and happened in his experience because he wanted us to have an actual living memory of what took place. The crazy part was these Followers of Jesus literally believed that their king was raised from the dead. Not only that, that he had returned to heaven 
and that he had sent his spirit to live inside all of his followers. That he literally lived on inside of them. Not figuratively like, yeah, the works of Jesus go on. No, literally. They believe that the physical presence of God indwells the believers in Jesus. That literally, he comes to dwell in them. And his spirit lives with them. And this is what accounted for the incredible things that happened in the first century that led it into the second century, in the third century, and it actually became the belief system. The entire world, the known world, Rome and everything else, fell into the movement, at least under the, the presence of the movement of Jesus. But then somewhere along the line, this living, breathing, vibrant, relationship-driven thing took a turn. And it became like so many other faith systems. It became a religion. And that was never what it was meant to be. Now, one of your problems, and um, one of the reasons that many of you have not been in, interested in church or religion in the past, and maybe some of you were in a faith system and you walked away from it. Many of you were in a church, particular church system, um, and you walked away from it. It's because of what we're going to be talking about today. It's because of something you experienced there and what it made you feel and the fact that you bought into that, you were taught and it was modeled for you and this approach to following Jesus became a religion, all about the rules. And it lost you. And I'm going to tell you why. <clears throat> you need to understand, and hopefully the series has helped you, with, that Jesus did not come to start another religion. And you know this intrinsically. You feel this. Maybe I can explain it this way. All religions are basically the same concept, right? There's a deity or deities, and uh, there's a system of truths or beliefs that they pass down and they're received, right? And so I could just basically, all religions kind of point to three things. You ought to, you don't, you're toast, <laughs> okay? There's stuff, you, there's stuff you ought to do, right? And we, we give you the list, and that's stuff you got to do in order to keep yourself in line with the deity. And most of you don't, and, okay, we all don't to some degree or another, and so we're in big trouble, right? we got to answer for that failure. <clears throat> and and C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, literally goes through, and he starts working through, and he was a brilliant man, had studied all the world religions, and down to detail, and he was basically looking at all of them and said, you know, it, fundamentally, they're all after the same sort of thing. Um, and, and the religions like all the major ones, uh, the Eastern religions, the American Indians faith system, the Greeks, the Chinese, the Juda Judaism, even Christianity, we're, we're kind of all under the same umbrella. This is kind of what it teaches. Don't harm others. Don't lie, right? When you break trust with people, it disintegrates social, social society. Don't have sex with somebody else's spouse. I mean, that's across the board in, in all major religion and in, in all of the major faith systems. They don't care for yourself only, but care about the weak. So religion becomes about following the rules. Whatever particular set of rules are in that faith system, the teachings of that particular church. And then other the other thing about religion is the more rules you break, the more rules you're given to cover the rules you broke. Right? So you need rules to help you with the rules you already broke. And, and basically, unfortunately, around 280 A.D., 
Christianity took a turn towards religion and began to lose its genesis, the heart of it, the sense of being a living, vibrant, breathing relationship with the God who made us. And it became about the rules. It took the form of religion. And here's why. Because your default, my default, is the religion. It's rules. It's just kind of, it's in us, right? Just tell me what the rules are and I'll do my best to follow them. We need the rules. Breaking those rules anymore and it kind of produces pride. But the rules that we don't keep so well make us feel guilty. And, and we even kind of, so we, if it's have to dumb them down a little bit so we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. And we just kind of erase the things that we don't like. Or we kind of change the meaning. We change the interpretation. We create loopholes so that our guilt can be appeased. Because when we know the rules and we don't keep the rules, it creates a sense of disease, disease. And we feel yuck. And so what we do is we change either our interpretation of the rules or we add new rules in order to make up for the rules we broke. And we form our own version of our own religion. That's why every religion has loopholes. Because we know. I know it says this. I don't want to feel bad about myself. So what I really think it means is this. So what I'm going to try. People know the rules and people don't keep the rules. So people are cl claiming the rules. They proclaim the rules or whatever, but they don't actually live the rules. And this makes hypocrites. And did you know that even Christians, churches are full of hypocrites. Because people are living the religion of Christianity. They follow the rules. They preach and proclaim the rules, but they don't live up to them. The preachers included... And so they have, you know, primetime specials about how the preacher who preached this thing was actually doing that thing. And there's embarrassment and failure because people, even Jesus followers, opt for religion over following Jesus. So what I want to do for the best, the rest of our time together and to the best of my ability, which I'm going to fail, but I want to break this down. I want, I want, to, I want to describe for you the difference between approaching this following Jesus, the way Jesus talked about it, and the way that the Apostle Paul talked about it, and the way the first century Christians lived it, versus the religious approach to Christianity that a lot of you have grown up with, and a lot of you are just, you're still struggling under, and you're still working through. Because what Jesus and Paul taught was something different. They offered another way, another approach to walking with God. And, and what Paul understood was this endless cycle of trying and failing. What you have to understand about Paul, Paul wasn't just a regular guy. Paul was born a Jew in a very prominent Jewish family <clears throat> with a, you know, he, he had this lineage that put him in a place that he had very high social standing. But not only did Paul say, I want to be a part of the, Jew, you know, the Jewish religion, Judaism, I want to excel at it. As a matter of fact, where most people who were Orthodox or walked in the Jewish system of faith, Paul said, I want to be more than just an average follower of my faith. I want to be, I want to be stellar. I want to be the best of the best. So Paul set out to become a Pharisee, which basically meant that he had to take the Torah, the Old Covenant, um, the teachings of Moses, the, you know, the, the law and all of those things, the prophet, uh, the wisdom literature. He took all of those things. And he had to put them to memory. And then he had to literally recite those, memorize those, and live out of those in such a way that there was no fault in him. That he could live them flawlessly. That was the desire of the Pharisees. Then they would try to, as they you know, tried to 
produce this in their own lives. They would hold up the standard and basically shine it on everybody else. Here's what you should be doing. Here's how you should live. Here's what we're, and here's where you're screwing up. And this is where God's really, really mad. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. In other words, he was really, really good at this. But even Paul came to a point where he was like, I, I try so hard. More than anybody I know, I have tried to work my way into the place where I keep the covenant of God. I keep the covenants of the Old Testament. I, I've tried everything. And then he goes into Romans 7.15 where he talks about the journey of what this felt like before Jesus came into his life and what he experienced. He said this, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. He's, he's basically saying, I don't get it. I try so hard to stop doing the stuff I shouldn't do. And then I find myself doing it. I try so hard to make myself do the things I should do. But I don't always do it. And by the way, this is not the experience of a pagan or person just kind of like, whatever, I'm just going to do whatever I feel. This is the experience of the most religious person probably that is written of in Scripture. I know what I ought to do. I just can't do it. And I feel guilty all the time. And then unfortunately, the church comes along and says, hey, tell you what, um, we know that you're breaking some rules. As a matter of fact, we know that it's really, really hard to keep the rules, so here's what they'll do. And this was a very dark season a few centuries in. They said, basically, um, we'll tell you what, we'll give you some more rules. And so we know that you upset God, and so here's what you can do. You can appease God. You can make yourself right with God, and here's what you'll do. You'll do penance. You'll suffer because suffering makes God less mad at you. You give money, and you will be in good standing with God in the church. You pray this prayer, and it got to the point where it's so ridiculous. You crawl up this mountain to this temple on your knees until you bleed. You make yourself, you take away all the fun things out of your life. You beat yourself. Literally, penance was this concept of you're going to pay God back for the wrongs you've done, and you're going to be the person who stands to account by your behavior. You're going to make yourself right with God. Or, let's do this. We'll set up a person who can be God's representative on earth and you come to them you tell them what you've done they'll give you the stuff they'll give you the list of rules that's just kind of man-made we just kind of made it up but we're going to give you the rules you go say this thing 50 times you go do this thing you go give this amount of money uh, you know it's not in there but but we, just trust us this is how it's going to work now we're going to give you rules on rules on rules so that you can be right with god every time you try to live these rules Paul said, every time I try to get a rule-based life under control, I fail. And I can't even make it up to God. Whereas the church began to say, oh, but you can. Trust us, we'll figure a way to make it up to God. The whole church took a swing towards religion, towards earning and deserving and making right on their own, which is the dark ages of the church. Terrible time. Paul addressing this, he says, I understand that frustration, Romans 7, 17. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. In this case, the Jewish law. He's saying, in other words, I'm not saying the rules are bad. I'm just saying that I can't keep them. I, I think everybody should put each other first. I should, that is a great rule, but 
but I just sometimes want to put myself first. Paul's looking at it and he goes, I know we shouldn't lust. We shouldn't look at a woman with, you know, those eyes of consuming her. But, but you know, I've, I'm tempted sometimes. And Paul didn't go into that detail, but he's saying that I break the rules. He said, I shouldn't be stingy maybe, but, but I find myself wanting to take care of myself first. And you could just basically, what humans experience, Paul is saying, I experience it without delineating. He said, I shouldn't lose my temper maybe, but I do. And Paul's saying, I know what I should do. I know what I shouldn't do. I know the law, and what the law does, the law is good, because I, I know the law is just basically saying what we should and shouldn't do. That's, that's really good. We should know that. We should do that. I believe all that. I, I just can't do it consistently. Well, welcome to religion. Then he goes on, Romans seven eighteen. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Oh, what a wretched man I am. I love that wretched man, wretched man. What's a wretched man? It's like, you know what a wretched man is. Every religious person becomes a wretched. You hear a sermon last week about lust, and those of you who went home feeling like, oh, what a wretched man that I am. You know, oh, that's a struggle of mine. Or we talked a couple of weeks ago about what it is to be a wretched, you know, about being a great dad. And some of you are like, oh, what a wretched dad that I am. We talk about marriage and some of you feel, oh, I'm a wretched married partner. Or you talk about something like, you know, generosity or giving, I'm a wretched giver. Or it's basically saying, I'm a wretched, you talk about forgiveness, well, I'm a wretched forgiver. In other words, I'm just, I fail there. Paul's just being honest and he gets a little aggressive with his language because he's like, I'm so sick of this self that can't do what's right. I'm wretched. I'm disgusting. I hate myself about those things. Because I know better. I, I just can't seem to pull it off. And that's, that's the trap of religion. And then Paul, because he's leading us somewhere, ultimately asks a question that it literally puts everything in, in perspective. He's framing this. He's taking us on a journey saying, okay, you know the struggle. I know the struggle. We know what to do. We don't do it. We know what we shouldn't do, but we do it. And we constantly feel guilty about it. So the law basically is there to show us what we should and shouldn't do but there's a better way. He goes to verse, chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul's claiming another thing here because here's what he knows. Here's what he's learned and here's what we know because we've learned the same thing, that every time he sinned, there was death. Sin is violation of God's purposes and plans and when we violate God's plans, something dies. Every time you sin, there's death. Wherever you break the laws of any religion, there's death. There's consequences. There's pain. You, you, you hurt yourself with your sin. You hurt your spouse with your sin. You hurt your parents. You hurt your kids. You hurt your health. You hurt your finances. When we sin, there's always some sort of death. Talking with several couples this past week in counseling, it's like when there's a violation of trust in the marriage, there's death to trust. There's death to that love. There's death. You feel it. You know it. There's death. When we sin, there's always some kind of death. And then Paul asked the question that we need to be asking. He doesn't ask, what? What can I do? He doesn't ask, what? Give me the list. Give me the formula. Give me the rules. Give me, give me the, the tools that I can do something about this. What can I do? Paul asked the question that changes everything. Paul asks, who? 
It's like there's a drowning person. And I don't know if you've ever been caught in a, in a drowning situation. Uh, we did this whitewater rafting trip, and um, we were literally uh, having a great time. But there are these things called keepers, where the water spills over something. It creates a vortex, like a, a circular tumbling of the water, and it just keeps sucking the water back in and back in and back in. Well, we've done this. We did this also in a, in a little trip that we took with a youth group one time. We went over a weir gate, which is where the water is really high. It drops over a waterfall, and it kind of slows the water down right there. Well, the problem was it had concrete sides that were steep, and when you got tumbled over, it didn't just let you go on. You just kept getting tumbled over and over and over and over, and that's what it feels like. Paul said this cycle. I come up, I get a breath, I think, okay, I'm going to be okay, and boom, I'm right back down. I come up, I get a breath, I think, oh, this, I think I'll be all right, boom, right back down. And there's this feeling, there's this moment, there's this panic that sets in where you feel like, finally, when, when it's new, it's like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. You got your strength, you got your vision, you got your passion, everything's new and exciting. But when you get there for a while of tumbling and you get stuck in this vortex where it's just taking you down and you feel like, I realize right now, I cannot save myself. I cannot... There is no what. There is no what do I need to do to fix my situation. There is no what stroke do I need to, what do I need, how do I position my legs and what do I do with my arms and how do I hold my head. There is no what that's going to rescue a drowning person. Paul said that at some point in your religious experience, I hope you experience by trying the law, you're going to understand there's a moment where you're like, it's no longer a what. I need a who. And this particular moment, when I was in that situation, stuck in that thing, a who came along. It was a person who was in a raft that had a rope around it. And that who was able to come close enough to me that I was able to get my hand on that raft. And I was able to be rescued and then rescue the others. And I'm telling you, there is a moment when you are just so thank God for the who. The what puts you in charge. And that's why it's ultimately hopeless. But the who is how you rescue are rescued from something you cannot fix on your own. It's Jesus it's Jesus. That's why he said, who will rescue me? Verse 25. Thanks be to God. In other words, I didn't do it myself. I couldn't do it myself. But God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, he did it. He was the one who came right when I thought it's the last time I won't be able to come back. The, the answer to the cycle of failure and trying over and over and over isn't another what. Hey, I'm going to give you another five points to a better life. You know, put these into practice. It'll cure all your... You'll start making sense of everything and you won't sin anymore. That's not how it works. That's why you can come to every sermon every Sunday and every single week and listen to all the Bible studies during the week and read your Bible. And you can still be caught up and trapped and feel like you're in that vortex and it just keep getting sucked in and in over and over and over and over. There isn't a thing you can do about the cycle of failing that you've been living under. It's religion. Religion asks what? Paul said, it's time for transformation. Transformation asks who? Because see, what religion is, it's the filter. It's the behavior modification. It's fixing the outside. Where relationship is transformation of the internals. It's a change of heart. It's a new destination. It's a new belonging. It's a new sense of life. It's a new, it's a forgiveness where the old has passed away and old, behold, all things become new. It's a change that starts inside. And Paul says in verse, Romans 8, 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. For what the law was powerless to do. Think about that. Paul's saying, 
You know what the law was really good at? You know what the law was good for? To expose my inability to live up to it. This is what the law was really good at. He said the, the law was a mirror. And basically, it's one of those places where... Have you ever been to one of those, those kind of stores where you're trying on something and the lights are just too good? And you hate them? And you're like, ugh. You know, do I really have dimples? I mean, is this really, is this really me? The, dear Lord, help me. This is, uh, you know... But I look so good in my selfies. I don't, you know... But the law is turning the light on to the truth of you. The law is a mirror that does not pretend with any aspect of your life. It just says what it is, and here it is. The law is truth about you. Paul's saying that's what the law was. It was really good at. It was really good at exposing who I am and where I fail. It was the necessary path. Failure that led me. I failed and failed and failed. The law kept me Away, aware of my own failings, aware of my own brokenness. It came, and it literally became my tutor. It literally became my guide. The law literally was a guide to say, you're done with the failure? Good. Then let me show you a new way. And it led me to Jesus and faith in Him. The law was just there to expose what I was bad at. It couldn't help me become better. It couldn't make me a law keeper. It couldn't rescue me. It couldn't make me a better person. It just showed me the awful effects of my own nature of sinfulness. The law doesn't help you get better. It just reveals your brokenness. Paul says, okay, so now I want to take you in a completely different direction. That's what the law does. That's who we are. Let me summarize it this way. Approaching God through the law is our default. It's what we do. It's what you were taught. It's probably what your mom taught you. Here's the rules. Do the rules. It's probably what your dad, it's probably what your priest or your pastor taught you. It's probably what your religious instructor taught you. Um, religion teaches that if we approach God through the law, through the rules, we'll make him happy. That's our default. That's what we do. There's a God. He told us some stuff to do. You'll do your best. You'll eventually figure out how to do it and do it well. Just, by the way, you're not going to be very good at it and you're going to fail a lot. You're going to fall short. All have fallen short, the Bible says. We all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious expectation. So nobody's perfect. We go right back into trying again and again and again until somebody gets tired of the cycle and says, you know what, I just can't live like this. And they opt out. Or they just become numb in church and they just kind of like hurt it, hurt it, hurt it, hurt it. I already fail at that, fail at that, fail at that. But I'm going to sit here and sing the songs and pray and just hope that I make the man upstairs happy when I get there. Because I don't know what else to do. Paul says, okay, um, completely different direction. Approaching God through the law, it's your default, but it's going to bring you to failure. Let it teach you what it taught me, that you cannot fix yourself. That preparing yourself, working yourself up, getting a better, you know, I'm going to surround myself with four accountability partners. I'm going to get up at 4.30 instead of 5.30. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to memorize more. I'm, not that there's anything wrong with those things. But if you think you're going to fix your brokenness on your own, you're mistaken. Here's what Paul said, uh, chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, it, just, it didn't have the power, right? Because it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending His own Son to be a sin offering. So that He condemned sin 
in the flesh in order that a righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we're going to come back to that. <clears throat> we're going to unpack that. There's so much here. And, and this, I'm just telling you, if you, don't, if you don't really know what it is to live in freedom in Jesus, I, I just hope that you'll get the book of Romans and sit down with a commentary or get online and just like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Because this is going to set you free. Here's, here's the, the contrast. God did something for you the law could not do. And the book of Romans is all about that. God did something about the requirements of the law and the power of sin that holds you. He sent Jesus as your sin offering. Now what does that mean? When we trust in Jesus, we get credit for his work. Okay, here's Jesus, sinless, perfect, never did any of the things that broke the law. Never broke the law. What we said is that if you break the law, hey, you know what? You have to pay for your own sin. You have to stand before God and face judgment, so you are condemned. But how do you rescue yourself? Your life is forfeit for your sins. Jesus comes along. He didn't sin, so now he could take the place of the sinner, and he could let them take his place. He could literally say, I had no sin of my own, so I'm going to cover theirs. I had no debt of my own. I'm going to cover their debt. I have no failure of my own, so I'm going to trade places with them. We couldn't trade places because we're guilty of our own. Jesus was not guilty of anything. He could stand in our place as the substitute. He basically took our place. When we trust in Jesus, it's basically before it says we are, Paul talks about like we're in Adam. It's like picture this big tub and all of us are in Adam. In other words, Adam, it represents the sinful fallen character, the nature that we all Received when we just came on the planet. We are all in this broken mess in Adam, our, our original father. But in Christ, he said, everybody who steps from Adam into Christ, puts your faith in Christ. You are now in Christ. Whatever was true of Adam was true of you when you were in Adam. What you step into Christ is everything that's true of Christ is true of you. You are forgiven. You are new. You are now before God, righteous and perfect. Old has passed away. All has become new. Forgiven from the first to the last. That's, that's the whole point of Jesus. You are in Christ. What's true of him is true of us. The law is satisfied. It's completely fulfilled. Verse 14, chapter 6. For sin will no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. The road divides here. This is so important. One leads to failure. The rules I couldn't keep, fail, 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 fail. Just reminds me, I'm a lawbreaker. That's religion. The other, Paul said, there's a better way. You're going to have to abandon the way of the law and trying to make it your own way, make it on your own, do it by effort. You've got to understand the way of grace. So what's the way of grace? Jesus talked about it in John 15. Jesus gave us a preview of what Paul would then break down later in Romans and Galatians. Jesus said it this way. I'm the vine. You're the branches. All right? Picture this agricultural thing, he said, because you understand agriculture. This is what culture we live in, they said. If you remain in me, or some of you heard abide in your Bibles, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, does that sound like, here's ten commandments, if you work really hard, you might get the first three or four of these, and then the rest of your life, you're going to, you know, have to work on the other ones. That doesn't sound like that. That sounds like Jesus is saying, okay, the rules, the law, all that, let's set it aside for a minute, because I'm going to fulfill all of God's righteous requirements. Set it aside for a minute. What you're going to need to do is learn to abide in me. Because the life that you are wanting to live, you don't have the life inside of you to do that. You don't have the power to do that. I do. So, I want you to abide in me. I want you to get right up close to me. I want you to connect with me. I want to literally be like a vine and a branch where one, you don't know where one ends and the other begins. That's like, you are so in, into me. You're so connected to me that you're going to bear fruit. You're literally going to have a life that does all those things that the scriptures talk about. But it's going to be me living and, and breathing and empowering you to do that. Apart from me, you're going to be at religion. You're just going to go back to failure, 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 failure. But in this relationship, if you do this with me, it's going to be a new life. And this is why it's so relational. It sounds so profoundly relational. Living free from sin requires you give up trying to live by the law and understand what it means to have a growing, moment by moment, day by day, presence of God living inside you, you respond to. It's learning to live the presence of Jesus and the walk with Jesus in your daily life where the Spirit lives in you because you are in Him. This is so powerful. Galatians 5.16, Paul says it this way. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk by the Spirit. When we say, okay, what? well, you know what, Paul, just let's kind of go back to the list. Give me the rules. Because if I have, I can, I can at least understand, you know, don't do this and do that. Then I, at least I know what I'm working with. But what? Walk by the Spirit. What? What was that? And Paul's like, um, here's a new paradigm. Here's a new way. To walk means to keep in step with. I mean, it means to be right alongside, to be sensitive to, don't get ahead, don't get behind. To take your cues from the Spirit of God who is living in you. To literally be aware of, to be conscious of the fact that God is in the people who have put themselves in Christ. And he wants to lead you. He goes on. The result of this, the outcome will be Galatians 5.16. And you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's different from trying really, really hard not to do bad stuff. He's saying, this just becomes part of what you do. This literally is not like, oh, I got a better filter. This is like, man, the filters just, I'm not even aware of the filters anymore because my inner heart yearning and all that is now connected to Jesus and I'm I'm like keeping in step with him so I just don't do that anymore I, I just have, I have no connection to that slave is not I mean sin is not my master I'm not a slave to it anymore this thing the difference is trying versus trusting the law is a map that says this is where you are this is where you should be sorry the Spirit is a guide that says, this is where you are, here's where I'm taking you, come with me. This is absolutely everything, folks. Galatians 5.17, the flesh desire, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you don't do whatever you want. Now, basically saying, there's stuff that you know you desire, there's stuff that's still part of the broken human experience that you'll live with while you're here on earth, but 
Here's the thing. When you surrender to the promptings of the Spirit, when you let the, the life of Jesus inside of you guide you day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath, you're just not even going to find yourself doing that because the Spirit is set up to change that in you. That's what He does. And you're going to find yourself all of a sudden not doing those things, those desires. Because, by the way, if you do it this way, if you do it the old way, it's like you lose. It's The, the law is a lose-lose because when you're really good at it, you get prideful. Can I just be honest? A lot of churches I've been in and experienced, this is what I experienced there. It's because once you get good at the rules and every church has their own little group of rules that they're like more prominent and they're really, really proud of. And, and sometimes you're walked in a church and you didn't know the particular rules and you're like, people are kind of like, oh, you obviously don't know the rules. You wouldn't dress like that if you knew the rules. You wouldn't express yourself like that if you knew the rules. The rules are, and the rules, of course, aren't necessarily anything written here, but it's stuff that we've kind of taken from here and made our rules. And you don't even know the rules, but they feel like, oh, we've been at this a long time. We're really good at the rules. You're not so good at the rules. You're less than. You ever felt less than in a church? This is what he's saying. Hey, when you feel really, really good about the rules you're keeping, you're going to look down on other people who aren't as good at it. And then when you aren't so good at it, you're going to feel ashamed and guilty. It's a lose-lose. But Paul says there's a better way. There's a way out. Verse 18, chapter 5, Galatians. But if, there's my way. But if you're led by the Spirit, the same idea as keeping in step, same idea as abiding, then you're not under the law. It's not if you really try hard, you'll get it right. No. If you just work in step with the Spirit of God who is inside of you, if you just abide in Jesus in that moment by moment, day by day, life by life, then you will not. You will not break the law because you're not even under the law. I fulfilled the law. Here's the contrast. Two different approaches. Led by the Spirit, living under the law. Galatians 5.19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And he goes into them. Sexual immorality, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. All those things that you do, you shouldn't do. Right? Jesus used that terminology. Um, but the fruit of, or the product of, what I do versus what's done in me. Do you know what happens when Jesus becomes your day-to-day -day presence guide? When the Holy Spirit becomes your leader, your guide? He takes you through all of this. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're realizing, I don't do that anymore like I used to. Somebody comes up and says, man, you are so different. What happened? You, you aren't the same person. You're like, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I'm not. Well, what did you do? Give me the list. Give me the, what are the new disciplines and what books are you reading? What tapes have you listened? What is it? How did you become this? And you're like, well, look, actually, I just, I just spent a whole lot of my time thinking and aware of what God is doing in me, what God is speaking to me, and just kind of staying connected with that. Well, yeah, but what are the rules? Well, the rule, basically the rule is just I'm in a relationship and I'm listening and following his promptings. And he's leading me to do this. It, you find this like, oh, right, right. You're better than you used to be. Yeah, you're right. It's because fruit is produced by walking in relationship with Jesus. Fruit is produced when I'm following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When what's happening in my heart is actually expressed in my living. That is transformational. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against this thing. There's no law. You know what fruit is? 
fruit is the result of something happening in, in, internally, right? I mean, have you ever driven by an orange grove and heard, you know, fruit, you know? Have you ever seen this, a tree that's just working and you're like, oh, 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 boom, you got one, you know, apple. I mean, fruit is not, this is effort, this is us, this is me making something happen. He's saying fruit. It's just like as life is going on, things start coming out of your life that's beautiful. When you are walking with Jesus in that day-by-day kind of awareness of his presence and following his promptings, then things just begin to show up in your life, almost a surprise to you, that are beautiful and life-giving to others. Then other people come along and say, can I have some of that life? Can I, have, can I partake in what you're, whatever it is you're doing? I need some of that. That's why the first century church was so explosive because they couldn't, they'd never seen anything like this before. Wait, it's not about following rules. No, it's about Jesus. It's about this guy. It's about the things that he said and he's done and what he's accomplished in us and the way he's now given his life to live in us. And it's walking in those ways. It's changed everything. That's why it was so powerful. And when it lost that and it became about the rules, that's why it was so deadly. And that's why some of you have walked away from the church and some of you feel like walking away. Some of you feel hopelessly lost because you're trying to do it on your own. Let me just kind of give you a picture of what that looks like. I mean, this, and by the way, the, all these things, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, it's, this is not a to-do list. Okay, I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be loving today. I'm going to be more, oh, I'm going to be peaceful and patient, 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 patient. I'm going to be patient today. I'm going to be gentle. I'm, I'm, yeah, call my accountability partners because I was not very kind. And this is not a to-do list. This is a fruit list. This is what happens when you are connected rightly to God. Can I just give you a picture of how it looks for me? Um, out of step, in step. Okay, this past week. We've been working on our yard because, again, I told you I took a property that was just nothing but dirt, tumbleweeds, and uh, rocks. And so we were trying to make it nice, put in some nice stuff in the backyard. But we, the patio, we were, we're just constant battle to keep it clean because we live in, you know, wind zone. And it just brings all this junk. Well, we finally got it clean because we're having some people over. We're trying to get the patio nice and ready. And I have this dog that loves rocks. I mean, it's rock-headed rock dog it is like no nothing in its head but rocks and it is absolutely i just went in its little dog bed this week and it literally had a pile of rocks it collects rocks it loves rocks but the problem is it likes to bring its rocks to my patio and i had just cleaned we had cleaned it and we've been working all day on cleaning this patio getting everything ready for some guests to come over and i happened to turn and notice this dog didn't just bring rocks he brought dirt clods big ones and they were like you know um and i literally turn i'm like ah, i hate that dog of course the whole family's there this is dave out of step with the spirit this is dave killing his i did not i didn't do i didn't touch it i didn't throw anything at it i just like ah, you know so done um that was my reaction there was a moment it was literally a moment, and the moments get better when you pause before you respond in anger because that's one of the ways the Spirit teaches us is not to respond instantly, but to take a breath, take a moment. And one of the things I did is in that moment, I made a choice. I'm going to vent my frustration rather than release it in a positive way. This morning, okay, roll forward a few days. So this morning, um, I'm getting to church, and we have uh, some of our team members are gone. They're, they're on vacation, and so there's a couple extra chores to do uh, when some of our volunteers are gone. And since nobody like you wants to do it, I have to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I'm just kidding. 
No, um, I, I'm truly, truly kidding, but sign up afterwards if you, <laughs> hot spot. No, um, so there were a few extra things, and I volunteered to do it. It's not somebody made me. I just, so I'm coming in, but I have breakfast, and breakfast for me, uh, most days of the week, is the same thing. Slice up a banana, put it in a cup. I have to have it in a cup because I'm always in the run. i got to eat on the go, so I want to double task, you know, multitask. So I got my banana, then I put my total cereal, then I put my, you know, granola mix, and then I put blueberries on top. And almond milk, and I'm good to go. I love it. It's just, I, I really enjoy my breakfast. And so I'm eating on the way to the church, and then when I get here, I realize I'm carrying all this stuff because I'm trying to do multiple things, and I'm trying to open the doors, and then there's the doors that you have to slide. Those little, we got these little black, you know, things that hold, hold the locks open so people can come in at times. That's good. And so, when I'm trying, I'm holding this cup, I'm holding this stuff, and I'm trying to at the same time slide this on the window. The Cassandra so beautifully cleans, and I'm like, oh no! And I had a split second decision. Say the things that were in my mind or do something else. And I'll be honest, there, there is a prompting that I'm, when I'm tuned in, when I'm listening, when I give myself opportunity to really respond to God in the mornings, it sets up my day. And I, when I listen to his promptings, I'm a little more tuned in. When I get in the teachings of Jesus and I just sit in them, soak in them, then it literally becomes part of me. And Jesus said, abide in me. Well, I, I, I do that best, me personally, by just really reading the teachings of Jesus and then Throughout the day, I just try to put them into practice. I just think about them. Again, not a legal thing. It's just like, okay, so prompting you put, you're prompting me to do this. I'm going to do that. Prompting me to give to this person or not to do that. This particular instance, I'm like prompted to just let it go. To laugh. To just realize, you're a human. You're doing too much. And it's ridiculous. So laugh at yourself. You're being a fool. Just go ahead and admit it. I mean, let's, why don't we just, and nobody else was around, but I literally got to step back and look. I'm like, oh, that is so funny. Look at the blueberries stuck on the window. You know, they're all over. Look at the granola rolling down my leg. Okay. I, I'm like, this is, this is hysterical. I mean, who does this, right? The prompting of the moment was that this too shall pass. Don't lose yourself in this moment. Don't give in to this temptation. Just the prompting of the Spirit was to just laugh, enjoy the moment, clean up the mess, and then move on. And I'm telling you, there's a difference between how I responded the other day and how I responded this morning, but both promptings. One I ignored, one I followed. And this is what I'm telling you. This prompting is a practical way of experiencing life in Jesus that we just tune in. Can I just tell you, if you've opened your heart to be a recipient of God's grace on the cross through Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross and he stretched out his arms, he said, whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Whoever. And if you're the whoever that said, yes, I put my faith in Jesus and all my sin, I allow him to, to take the punishment for. And all his mercy and goodness and grace and all his sinlessness... I receive as a gift from him in this great exchange. I have received that. The presence of God that was now with Christ is now in me. I am now in Christ. I no longer identify as in Adam and as broken, as sinful, as addicted and all that. I now identify as a person who is no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. I'm not bound to that anymore. I'm free. And I'm going to live in that freedom. I'm not going to live like that anymore. 
So my daily routine looks a little different. Now my daily routine gets off to a start with me trying to tune in and quiet and silence just a few moments of just like, okay, God, you're going to do great things in the world today. I want to be part. I just want to be involved in what you're doing. So help me to tune in right now and let your voice be heard. I know I can eclipse your voice by just forcing you out of the picture when I want to do what I want to do and I don't want to hear what you have to say. I can slam that door and the Bible talks about that quenching the spirit. That does become very destructive. Pretty soon you can't hear him and you're just out there trying to do it on your own again. But if you listen, he will speak to you. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they will follow no other. They tune in to me. They're they're good at listening. How do I learn his voice? I get into what he said and I just let it become part of me. Not as I have to read again. No, it's like I want to know this God who loved me so much that he died for me. I want to know him. And I want to ask him to put all of that spirit and power in me. I want to live that. Can I just tell you, folks, that the culture I live in is dying for some church to get serious about walking in the ways of Jesus in a relationship with Jesus. This culture is dying for somebody to stop saying, here's the list, do the list, or get lost. They're just dying for somebody to say, hey, I found a way that living this life is actually full of joy. It produces fruit. And it's not even me who's making it all happen. I'm just keeping a step. I'm just, I'm just following his lead. And this is changing everything. I'm just, folks, I'm just one, I'm just cr- one crazy person that believes that if you and I get really, really serious about just parking the religion over here and saying, I'm going to learn to walk in the presence and power of Jesus day by day, moment by moment, it's going to change us. It's going to change this community. It's going to change the outside where we live. It's going to change our workplaces and our home life and our marriages and our children. It's going to change things. And people are going to start coming around like they did in the first century and say, where does this power come from? How are you able to do these things? Like, it's not me. It's it's just God. I'm just kind of staying tuned in. He says, pray for the person. I pray for the person. They got up. I don't know. They're, They're well. It's not me. It's him. Folks, that's what we dream of as a church. And this is where I'm going to leave you. We're coming back to the fall. We're going to be doing a whole series on living the practices of Jesus, living in the ways of Jesus, learning how to do this day by day, step by step, walking in the presence of God stuff. But in the meantime, let me just give you some application. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. Four reminders. One, you've got to accept your new identity. You have got to come to a place where you truly believe, I'm no longer in Adam. I'm no longer that sinful, lousy, can't ever get it right, can't ever keep it going, undisciplined, unstructured. I'm no longer that person who has to live in guilt and shame. I'm in Christ. And to be in Christ is to be a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, identity. You've got to identify as who you are and start living that. You're in Christ. You're dead to the power of sin. It doesn't control you. You have a conduit of life, the spirit of the living God living in you. Two, embrace a new approach. You don't want to say, God, make me a better person. Help me to keep the rules. What you want to be praying is, God, make me aware of your presence. Let me hear your voice. Let me tune in to your promptings. Let me keep in step with your your pace. God, I want to bear fruit. Do that through me. By your spirit, do that through me. Submit your body 
Submit your will, submit your relationships to God and say, okay, I want you to be honored in all of these things. So in all of these things, I'm going to follow your promptings. Three, refuse to interact with God on the basis of law. Law says, ah, I did it again. Ah, I screw up. I'm such a, I cannot believe it. Where grace says, I got out of step. Sorry, Father, I, I got out of step. I chose my will over yours. Forgive me, and here we are. Let's move on. Let's get back to where we were. I'm not going to sit there in self-loathing and hate myself and beat myself. And I'm just going to say, God, I recognize I was out of step. Your spirit has prompted me, and you've also offered forgiveness. I receive it, and I, I ask you to forgive me. And moving on. Let's move on. And then fourth, you're free. Go live like it. Enjoy your life. Laugh a little. Enjoy some things. Have some friends. Just start enjoying the life God has given you. Start living from here rather than trying to filter everything out here. Start living from a new life, a new heart, a new presence, a new power. Start living from the grace of God who is in you. And watch the fruit come. As we close, um, I'm going to pray for you. There's too much for me to get able to unpack it all for you today, but hopefully I've given you a summary of where we've been and and some of the things we're going to be going into. And now it's your turn. I want you to think about your response. Who you are. Are you a law abider? Are you a law breaker? Are you a grace receiver? Who do you want to be? Let's pray. God, as we close, our hearts, our lives, man, they're devastated with sin. Bible says they're dead. We can't even we can't even get ourselves out of this this cesspool of sin. We can't even break free. But you have given us the power through Christ to not only be forgiven, but to literally have a new master. We are no longer a slave. We no longer have to obey it. We can literally follow your promptings into a brand new life daily. For God, there's people here this morning who've been living under religion and they feel so beat up of the try harder cycle, fail, get up, try harder, fail. And, and God, there's a shame that comes with it. And I, I just pray that you would set people free today from religion. That somehow they can fix it by doing enough good or paying enough money or changing enough things. That they would offer themselves to you fully so that you can redeem them. They would give up trying to fix and save themselves so you could save them. Like the first rule of life-saving efforts, like lifeguards, we never approach a victim who's still struggling because they'll try to drown us both. Once they give up, they can be rescued. And God, that's us. When we give up, when we give up the effort of our own abilities, then we can see you. Like Paul said, let the law bring us to you and let us realize, Lord, that without you, we're nothing. You said if we disconnect from you, we, we lose our power source. That That's how intimate it is. I pray, Lord God, that the people who are pursuing religion today would cast that off. All that bottled up junk that they've been trying to manage, that they would literally open their hearts fully to you to receive the life you bring with Jesus. As we place our faith in you, we'd put your spirit in us that we would literally learn how to be new. Tune us into your voice. Teach us to follow your promptings and to walk in step with you. And if you're here this morning with our heads bowed for a moment and it's like, man, I want that life. I'm done with religion. I want to step into relationship. I want to move into that place. I want you to just do yourself 
a favor. With heads bowed, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm not even watching you, nobody's, but just like to God, like God, today, I'm making a declaration. I'm stepping out of religion and into relationship. I'm putting my faith in you, and I'm asking you for new life. Just slide your hand up and say, God, that's me right here. I'm just doing this. I'm ready for a new life. And now, just a prayer between you and God. If this is you, just say, God, I, I, I make a full surrender. I confess all that I've done. It's failed. It's been miserable, and I'm, I'm guilty. And I'm asking for forgiveness and new life. Move in me. Live through me. And create the life that I could never have without you. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. I'm going to learn to walk in step with you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I just want to celebrate for those who have come into the family. New life. For those who are stepping out of religion into relationship with our living God, it is a journey you're going to want to share. Be back next week. We kick off a brand new series, Let It Be. Talking about Beatitudes. It's going to be awesome. Let's stand and worship one more time as we get ready to leave. All right, let's put our hands together. We got something to celebrate about.